All right. This person died in Las Vegas in 2018, and he was 76. Elvis Presley. <laughs> he was younger than 76. Maybe. Actually, you may be right here. All right. He was widely recognized and just as widely parodied during the initial run of his show from 1984 to 1995. I wonder if it was a guy. Um, no, 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 no. Um, I don't know. Jerry Lee Lewis. Not quite. He had a distinctive British I have no idea. Okay. He was a symbol of unapologetic opulence. Oh, I know. Oh, oh, oh. He was the guy who would talk about the millionaires' homes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's like something, like, I want to say his name's like Richard Lear or something. Like that. Oh, like, you're very close. <laughs> right there. Oh. I'm going to give you a couple more clues because you're Oh, no, but I know it. who it is, but I can't remember his name. He once said no one would watch Lifestyles of the Poor and Unknown. <laughs> yes, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Go ahead and ask Stephen. Okay, Stephen. Yeah. Who was the guy that did Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? What was his name? Oh, uh, oh, I know this. I know. The rich and famous. Oh. Like Robert Leach? Is that, was that it? Um, Robin Leach. Robin Leach. <laughs> Today's dead guest is Robin Leach. Get ready for another incredible Lifestyles, your VIP journey into the lives and loves of today's winners who really know how to enjoy the great things of life. Welcome to Famous and Gravy, a conversation about what really matters in life, one dead celebrity at a time. I'm Michael Osborne. And my name is Amit Kapoor. And through a series of questions about the highs and lows of a famous person's inner and outer life, we want to figure out things in life that are actually desirable to us. And ultimately, we ask the big question, would you want their life? Today, Robin Leach. Died 2018, age 76. Here is the first line of his obituary. Robin Leach, who became a symbol of unapologetic opulence as host of the popular syndicated television show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous in the 1980s and 90s, died on Friday in Las Vegas. Ahmed, your thoughts about the first line of his obituary? I think very concise, very well done, and very descriptive. What stood out to me was opulence. Yeah, it's a good word. Symbol of opulence. Symbol of unapologetic opulence. Yeah, that's a word. It's kind of loaded. Yeah, that's extremely loaded. I don't like that word. Yeah. Unapologetic. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Opulence, though. Yeah, I, I got to say, that's my favorite word in this obituary. It's a very good word in general. Yeah. Do you remember the last time you used it? I can tell you a time I used it. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was in Jordan with a friend and we were at a like a pool resort by the Dead Sea and it was like this tiered level of pools and there was waiters and my friend turned to me and said this is opulence wow that's really good yeah 
having heard you describe that, I'm not sure I've ever had an opulent experience. I will take you to this pool in Jordan sometime. <laughs> I, hope, I hope we can make that journey. So, scale of one to ten. Nine. Oh, really? Yeah. Despite your quibbles with the word unapologetic. Well, that's what took it away yeah. from the ten. What if it had just said a symbol of opulence? Wouldn't that have been incomplete? Don't we need a descriptor there? I don't think so. Who apologizes for opulence as a television host? Well, in a time of inequality and you know wealth disparity in the world and in America, I feel like the nod to being unapologetic about it, it's a nod to the bigger issue. But I guess is that at the expense of honoring the man? Yeah, that's the New York Times getting their dig in. Yeah, fair enough. All right, nine. Still pretty damn good. All right, let's get to the categories. First question, five things I love about you. Really what this category is about is why we are talking about this person in the first place. What are some obvious things that we love about this person that may or may not make their life desirable? Alma, would you like to start? Yeah, I'm going to go with he's adorable. He was just an adorable man. He had this smile and this diamond-shaped face, and he was compact and British, and he's just cheery in his presence. Is that physically adorable, or is it like a personality vibe? I mean, or is it all of it? I think it's all of it. I don't think you can take the physical stature without the voice and without the smile. The total package, I think, completely adorable. Are there other grown men that you're comfortable describing as adorable? Yeah. I mean, I'm comfortable with describing other grown men as adorable. I don't know who (laughs) it would be, but there definitely are. Okay. Yours. It's obvious, the voice, the accent. The New York Times obituary described it as speaking with an exclamation point. Almost every sentence ended with this exclamation point. Uh, Yeah, it was an uptick. Yeah, but pointed, I mean, and strong and just commanding. I think to have that kind of voice and to use it as an instrument, uh, that's something that to me is very powerful. Yeah. My other one, which will be our number three, is kind of a combination of what I said and what you just said. One of the things I loved about him is he was good at what he did. And this isn't a comment on the the content of what he did. He was just good. He was articulate. He was exuberant. He flowed really well. He was a good video journalist. So I feel like what you're commenting on there, and I think it's really true, is work ethic. He showed up and he had all passion and was fully present for his show. Again, regardless of how you feel about that show, there was a commitment to everything he's doing on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Yeah, whether he was playing a part or playing what's natural, you didn't know the difference. He was completely immersed in it. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, so what are we at now? Is that three? We've had three. We've had adorable, we've had voice, and we've had good. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to offer one more, and then I think I need you to round out this category for me. I'm going to go with the concept for the show. Again, not to say this is a good thing or a bad thing for society, but I I like that he came up with, you know what people are going to be really interested in is, it's all in the title, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And to sell that show to a network and have them say, you're absolutely right, here's a budget for that show, get out there and execute on it, that's a sneaky good idea for how to craft a career. Yeah, he's an expert marketer in that way. Yeah, because you know that the fun of doing it is going to be integrated into the work inevitably. So I like that career decision. Yeah. So my, I'll round it out with a number five, which is that he not only came up with it, but I think he owned what he did. 
you see the things he said about it. You see how he ended his career continuing to do practically the same thing, but in a more digital, written word reporting way for a Las Vegas periodical. But he really owned and, and made a lot of his career about the same thing. The New York Times obituary described him as unapologetic. Is that the term you were looking for? Owned it, but also committed to it? I'm going to go with owned it, because unapologetic, I don't like, because that means you're not apologizing for something that that everyone wants you to apologize for. Sometimes it means that. So no, I don't like the term unapologetic. I like ownership. All right. Well, before we move on to the next category, then, I think we've got our five. Let's stick on this unapologetic thing for a second. Do you have uh, a moral issue with Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous as a concept? Do you find it personally grotesque or off-putting or offensive? Maybe now in 2021, looking back to everything that's happened in the 30 years since the show came out, maybe I do. Freeze-framing in time where when he created the show, I don't know that I do. Do you have memories of watching it growing up? Absolutely. I don't think I've ever seen a single episode. Really? Yeah. No, I mean, it was on the TV. It just didn't catch my attention. And I know it was on all the time, but actually sitting down to watch it, certainly never appointment TV. And I don't have any like clear memories of it speaking to me in any way that was like exciting or enticing in any way, shape, or form. I think that's our different upbringing. I think if you were raised in an immigrant household, the unsaid message was, okay, you can watch this because if you get good grades, maybe you can also have a chandelier. Interesting. So it was a sort of version of the American dream on steroids. Or my parents had no idea I was watching it. But (laughs) yeah, that's a good way to put it, a version of the American dream on steroids. All right. So at some point between young Amit watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous as a young boy, and now you've done a kind of flip with it, could you pinpoint where that flip is, where you've decided maybe this show has some untoward elements? Yeah, so if we do a timeline. So I, I, I remember watching the show as a child from reading and, and prepping for this episode. I, we saw it ended in like 94-ish. Yeah, yeah. Which would have put me at, you know, 16, 17 years old. No, I don't think I, I would have had a critical eye in probably till my early 20s. So it was in memory, but no, no looking askance back at Yeah, it. okay. And I'm not sure I ever thought about it that much until the last week. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know I haven't. I completely forgotten about it. Who knows where it's buried? Who knows what it's what it's affected? Well, and you know, we didn't include this on the top five, but it does feel like a turning point in terms of how celebrity and how wealth is portrayed in pop culture. Does it represent something important, I guess is the question. Is it, is it capturing something about how society has turned its attention in a certain direction and has done so ever since? I think absolutely does, in, in the same way that maybe Wall Street did or any other pop cultural things of the 80s. Absolutely, it's easy to look back now, 35 years later, and, and say it totally is 100% 80s opulence, indulgence, extravagance, Right, but that's not exactly my question. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is that turn towards celebrating opulence, indulgence, extravagance, 
Is that something that has been with us ever since that did not exist before? Did Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous usher in something new that even though the show itself is no longer on the air, the attitude, perspective, values it's championing continue to be important in terms of what's on TV or what's in pop culture overall? Absolutely. I would say absolutely. It's an important show then. That's the question. Yeah, I mean, I I think that type of format and that type of of just celebrating celebrity for for celebrity's sake or for richness' sake, yeah, it was ahead of itself, but certainly that's what's defined so much of the last 15 years of all programming. Yeah, wow. Okay, let's move on. Category two, Malkovich, Malkovich. What this category is about, it's a reference to the movie Being John Malkovich, where you can take a portal into John Malkovich's mind and have a front row seat to his experiences. If you could take a portal into Robin Leach's mind and have a front row seat to one of his experiences, is there something that sounds like you'd like to sit through? Yeah, but it's not an experience that he directly had. And the one I'm going with, because it was just relevant to my own timeline, I'm going to go with when Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor of California. So granted, this was years before, maybe a decade before Trump became president. But I remember following an hour life cycle, Jesse Ventura becoming governor, and then a few years later, Schwarzenegger. And this was jarring to me, somebody in my mid-20s at the time. And I wonder if he looked at that, and this was, you know, 10 plus years before his death, and thought, what the hell did I do? Interesting. You think so? You think he might have felt like he had a part in Schwarzenegger's rise? I don't know. I'm using Schwarzenegger as just a a symbol of rich and famous crossing over into having great influence on individual lives, not just on the screen in your living room. And into political life, I suppose. Well, political life, but yeah, you're a government of the people and for the people. You're no longer an entertainer. And so he, no doubt, in the show, no doubt, played some role in the trajectory of celebrity as public figure and public figure just eventually just becomes nothing but a public figure. There's no lines drawn. In yeah. It. Huh. That's interesting you chose Schwarzenegger's, right? That, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I, I was very tempted to go with the a more obvious, the Trump election in 2016. Sure. But also it was a year before he died. It was perhaps maybe the beginning. It was a tremor. I guess what I want to know is, did it feel like a possible tremor? And of course, what's interesting about that is that Trump himself appeared on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous several times. Although I had a hard time digging up the the appearance dates. Did you find information on that? I found one that was like he was with, Michael Jackson was also there. And I think it was 94-ish at the opening of one of the Atlantic City hotels. And I'm not even sure that that was an episode of the show as opposed to just something Robin Leach was present at. Yeah. But it seems like he was passing through the show at some point. All right. Well, my Malkovich Malkovich moment was not particularly interesting, probably, because I already mentioned it. I think the moment that the network said, yes, we're going to air your show, I think it just had to have been very exciting to say, we want to do a TV show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and here's what I'm going to do, and here's what the show's going to be. What do you think? And them saying... Yes. That had to feel triumphant, just to pitch a story and to have it be bought. Yeah, because it, I mean, it, it had to have seemed asinine in, in many people's eyes at the time. Well, I wonder about that. You think so? Yeah. 
Okay. I don't know. I guess I give people too much. I don't give people enough credit. Yeah. And again, brilliant marketer. He probably knew exactly how to pitch it and what the appeal is. I mean, it's it's the perfect commercial creation. Okay. Let's move on. We're going to go through some of these a little bit fast. We want to get at love life. And we're going to ask the question, were there any divorces? The answer here is yes. Was married in 1968, divorced 1977. Yeah, that's what I saw. I didn't, I didn't find a whole lot more about it. Me neither. Googled his ex-wife and found nothing in terms of information on the internet. All we know is it seemed like he only had the one marriage and three kids uh, with that one marriage. So question four, net worth. What did you find? I found $15 million. That's what I saw too. How does that sit? What do you think about that number? Uh, it sets perfectly with me. It's a square meal to me. <laughs> so I, I also uncovered that the criteria for the show, which he created and hosted, was supposedly a net worth of $50 million. Wow. And so the fact that his ultimate may or may not have been $15 million was less than that, but it was still unambiguously rich. Yeah. It seems right. That was more or less my reaction. It seemed about right, which is really what the net worth question is really all about. What if it had been $100 million? How would that have sat? Because if I was thinking about this as a man who champions lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? So a hundred million seems like a threshold amount that's pretty incredible. Hypothetically, what if he had been worth a hundred million? I don't think that would sit as well. It would seem like too much. And maybe if this whole timeline were fast forwarded and this show somehow magically started 25 years later, that number would make sense. But it seems too high. I mean, it's still an ultra-wealthy number. The other reason why I don't think it sits well is I don't like the participatory story behind it. That by profiling the rich, you yourself become one of them. Yeah. It seems weird. It's as if like Harry Carey became like a pitcher at the end of his career. <laughs> right, right, right. So it's funny. He needs to be rich enough that he can cover the very wealthy, but he can't actually have so much money that, as you said, he becomes one of them. So that's one of the reasons 15 million sits very well. Yeah, and I don't know that he was rich enough back then. I mean, there was maybe like a Gatsbyism to it. Is that with the tuxedo look and the accent and all, he just, he was able to play it very well and feel comfortable in the private jets and the mansions to where he was invited in. It didn't look like Barbara Walters was coming in to expose this lifestyle. Well, and that gets back to one of the things I had on Five Things I Love About You. I mean, I really like that he is able to vicariously experience extreme wealth while having what is admittedly a, a good amount of money, no question about it, 15 million puts him in a very high category, but it's not quite the same thing. I mean, he, he is aware of and is having firsthand knowledge of the 0.001% and has an intimacy with that experience that I think is sort of brilliant in a way to like, I'll just cover this and I'll get to experience some of it. Even if that feels a little slimy, it has a has a cleverness to it. Absolutely. The other thing did make my top five list. I also kind of like that he landed in Vegas. There's something perfect about that him. That is a good finale. In, yeah, that's, that's like where this was supposed to end. You know, the quiz, I don't think he died in Vegas. Oh, is that I think right? He died in Cabo. He was a resident. He was living in Vegas. Oh, so I got that wrong. Okay, we'll issue a correction. All right. 
Question five, Simpsons or Saturday Night Live? Did he ever have an appearance on either one? This is a measure of fame, because uh, if you host Saturday Night Live or are featured on The Simpsons, you've clearly made it. What did you find? I didn't have to do any research. It was Dana Carvey doing an impression of him on Saturday Night Live is possibly higher up in my memory than the direct memory of Robin Leach. Yeah, I went back and watched it. Didn't make me laugh as much, but uh, but it's nice. It's fine. Never saw him on The Simpsons, but for what it's worth, he did do a spot on Family Guy. So, I don't know. Honorary Where he voiced order. himself? I think so. I don't think he could have escaped the grip of The Simpsons. There's no way he wasn't at least in it in some part. I didn't find it, though, at least as a character. I, I would agree. I don't know how you could be Robin Leach and overlap that much with The Simpsons in the 90s and not be a character, but I didn't see the episode. There's a pretty well-researched uh, Simpsons wiki out there where you can look this stuff up pretty easily. And no luck. I would also add, this isn't the, this category is about The Simpsons and SNL, but I, I don't think we can conclude this category without mentioning that he showed up in several rap songs. He showed up in a <laughs> Ludacris song. Yeah. He showed up in a Biggie song. Yeah, his, he was name-dropped a few times on tracks. Okay, now is the point in the recording where we get to the next set of questions that are a little bit more introspective. This is a little bit more about the inner life. We're not dealing with facts quite as much. This set of questions begins with man in the mirror. This is about self-perception. Did he like his reflection in the mirror? Amit, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going with yes. And my barometer for this category is on poise, just how you carry yourself. And it seems like he was pretty comfortable, pretty comfortable in his skin. I said, number one, he was an adorable man in yeah. the 80s. I think he must have recognized that same thing. So I'm, I'm going in absolutely yes. I wonder how he would have responded to being called adorable. I agree. And for a similar reason, the smile. He's got a great smile. And I think anybody who's got that great of a smile has to have practiced it a bit in the mirror. But you also, it's there's no doubt you can't fully fake it either. Yeah. People always will know how genuine it is. And there's no doubt that the comfort in your own skin and your own body and what you see when you look in the mirror plays a part in those angles. So I think we both have a confident yes. All right. The next self-perception question, did he record the outgoing message on his voicemail or home answering machine, whatever it may have been? I think the answer here is obviously he did. I don't even think we need to talk about it. Oh, yeah, if it's in the it. if the voice itself is in the top five things I love about you, <laughs> then he absolutely was enamored of his own voice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, question eight: regrets, public or private? What did you have here? Public, I found nothing. Again, you brought up unapologetic. It doesn't seem like he had any, at least vocalized. Private, I just don't know. Hmm. I don't know how you could live to 2017 and play such a pivotal part in the catapulting of celebrity and wealth. Extreme wealth. Extreme wealth without having some second thoughts. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, there's no read on it because, as you said, there's nothing public about him defending his career choice because he must have received that question. Right. It seems like people surely were asking him, hey, Robin, don't you think you're celebrating extravagance and lavishness and gluttony and the worst parts about celebrity and fame? 
in a way that's exploitative and ultimately sends a bad message. For him to be described as unapologetic in his obituary, he must have been presented with that question. And I do wonder if he developed a defensive posture to it that walled off any room for self-reflection, or if he genuinely felt that way in his heart of hearts, I have done nothing wrong here. I have built a career on a system that was presented to me, and I should not have to defend that for any reason whatsoever. And if you do take an opposite stance, you're essentially erasing your life's work. Yeah. So let me ask this, though. I mean, I've said a couple times in this conversation that I look at his decision and see a kind of cleverness to it. Because if you say, I'm going to be a journalist who creates this TV show where I get on jet airplanes and yachts and visit castles and hang out with beautiful celebrities and try and ask them softball questions, do you think that that is a thoroughly selfish decision? Or do you think that he was able to tell himself a story that something in what I'm doing here is of service to humanity? I think the latter. I think telling yourself that I would guess he did, that I am providing a service. Let's take that a step further. If he's saying people need to see this, and this is a service to the world to see how the rich and famous are living, what is the rationalization around that? Aspiration. It's me at nine years old thinking I need to get good grades so I can have a chandelier. Yeah, but surely the celebration of materialism is obviously has its limits. Or, I don't know, maybe it's self-evident to me. I mean, maybe. You're just putting a goalpost. You're just saying success is this. I'm painting a picture of achievement. We're not celebrating Nobel Prize winners. But if it's viewed by people that have no hopes and that you see people that have things. I don't know if it purely creates a false sense of want or if it maybe does something for aspiration. Seems like a pretty hefty rationalization. Another perhaps more generous interpretation of his life's work is that I do think that a generation ago, there was a little bit more of an attitude of marveling at human achievement, marveling at technological progress, marveling at how we had unlocked the secrets of the natural world and could live in material extravagance, and and maybe even a belief that all of civilization was heading in this direction, that by 2050, we'd all have yachts and that we'd all be eating caviar and champagne. I, I guess what I'm getting to here is... Is there an explicit promotion of class in a way that says some of humanity is obviously better than other parts of humanity? I, I don't know. I haven't seen the show. It seems like that's there. It seems like that's there, but I, it's difficult to remove it from context of when that was. Like, we're not even that deep into color television when this <laughs> yeah. comes out. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So... Let's finish up this category. Regrets, none public. We might presume that there's some private regrets, but it's sort of hard to get at because if so, you don't obviously see it in his body language or in certainly in any decisions made after his peak in 94. Yeah, pure speculation. Pure speculation. All right, question nine. Good dreams or bad dreams? What do you got? I'm going to go with good dreams, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that as... If there were regrets and they manifest themselves 
privately or at a time that that we were completely unaware. He also just, I mean, he looked like he was having a good time. He seemed to enjoy it. He kept doing what he was doing. Good or bad, I think it seems like he liked what he was doing. He liked the world that was created, and he seemed to be a little touched to experience that part of it. Even if only for the duration of a segment. Yeah, who cares? Still got invited to the party. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good case. And I should explain, with good dreams or bad dreams, this is absolutely a projection question. We have no idea. I like what you've said in the past, though, that it's something in the eye. I wrote down bad dreams, but for the life of me, I can't remember why. I, I, I just have to imagine that you go to sleep at night knowing somebody's always got more than you, is always doing better, is always winning in a different way, perhaps. But I don't see it in the eye. If that's the test, if there is something in his eyes, then I think I'm, I'm going to flip my answer. I'm going to go good dreams, too. All right, question 10. Cocktail, coffee, or cannabis? Which of these would you like to do with Robin Leach? What did you have? So we can't acknowledge the question with he actually had a signature drink associated with him, which right. is champagne. That just has to be said. But I don't even think I want the champagne with him. I want the cannabis. I want to know what he really thinks. And and maybe what he really thinks is exactly what was presented, but need a little more truth serum to be convinced. <laughs> Do you think getting high with him is how you'd get that out of him? If he trusts me. <laughs> <laughs> if I, if I bring it up, <laughs> think you could establish the rapport after a bong hit with Robin Leach and get at the inner man. Like if you're going to get at the darkness, that's the the best option between cocktail, coffee, and cannabis for experimenting with that. Yeah, I think so. I think if I'm the editor of this like pot den session, and mm. I can take it to a philosophical realm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. I want cocktail. And basically, I just want to hear the stories that didn't make it to the show. It's a similar sort of thing. I don't want to necessarily know what he really thinks. Although, to hear you describe it, I certainly have more curiosity than I did before. But I also want to know the full picture of what he saw, of what was happening before the camera went on, who the extremely rich and extremely famous people really, really are, and if he could shine light on this bizarre phenomenon of wealth and celebrity in this very narrow but extremely important Venn diagram. Yeah, so we kind of want the same information from him, slightly different angles. We just have different modes that we think it would have come out. Well, I think the distinction is that you, I think, are more interested in how he really feels about the inner life. I think I'm more interested in what he really knows. And if there was a whole different show to be had that was not going to be as marketable and certainly not going to be as deferential to the guests. Because, again, having not seen the show, my understanding is that it was softball questions and everybody looks great. I want to know what, if anything, is actually going on in the stratosphere of the rich and famous. Yeah, there's got to be a lot of off-camera stuff of domestic workers and whatnot that there's no way he didn't see. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, I'm actually very excited for our last question. It's called the Vanderbeek, in reference to James Vanderbeek, who in Varsity Blues famously said, I don't want your life. Ahmet, do you want Robin Leach's life? No, I don't. And 
this isn't about the questions I raised about the long-term implications or moral playing out of this type of celebrity celebration that he was a part of. Contributions to society or lack thereof, right. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be the profiler. His life was defined by profiling other lives, by not being necessarily a participant. Mm. And I don't think I'd want to get all the way through mine knowing that I wasn't the player. I wasn't the maker. Yeah, the author of your own life. You're following somebody else's script or or a lot of other people's scripts and trying to make sense of it on your own. Yeah, and it's not, I, I don't think it's a general comment about journalism mm-hmm. because I think it's different because you're, you're not adding a new lens to it. You're just shining a light on it. It's a really good answer. Before I give you my answer, I think I need some clarification on the question, on what the Vanderbeek is all about. I wrote, I'm open to it, and depends on the question. Am I trading my life for his in the Vanderbeek? You know, when you say, I don't want your life, or are you simply saying, if given the opportunity to take this life, sure, I'll take it. I think your your soul is in in some cycle of reincarnation, uh-huh. and this life is going on, and you can be placed in it with all that you know of how it played out eventually and what led to it, and you can say, okay, I'll take this, or pass. Pass. Let's see what comes along next, and I'll wait around. Yeah, but there's a possibility that nothing comes next. Right, It's not like take door number one, and if you don't have door number one, there's going to be plenty of other doors. It's just yeah. saying, it's this one, it could be nothing, it could be infinite darkness if you don't take this door. When you put it like that. Let me say this. I am more open to Robin Leach's life than I would have thought. I would have thought that I would have been disgusted and that it's ultimately a shallow pursuit with no stakes and spiritually devoid, morally devoid, and not really about establishing meaningful relationships with other people on planet Earth with this short life. So there's a lot about it that's unattractive to me from the outside looking in, not really knowing much about the quality of his relationships other than the fact that he was divorced and never remarried, which does seem a little bit telling for somebody of his stature. Yeah. There's also a part of me that looks at this life and thinks, it's all a big fucking joke. That planet Earth and all these over-evolved monkeys running around this planet lighting fires and hopping on jets and eating fish eggs and doing all the absurd, weird things that humans do, I, I kind of want to see what that looks like at the extremes. And I kind of want to know, because he did have a front row seat to a certain kind of instinct run amok. And I feel like there may be some real wisdom to be gleaned from that firsthand knowledge. Oh, good take, yeah. That said, if that were the case, the ultimate piece that's missing was the great think piece at the end of his life. Like, that would have rounded it out for me. If I had seen a my reflecting on 20 years of covering the rich and famous, and here's what it all means, kind of deeper philosophical thing, then I think I would have been very on board. And it wouldn't have even had to been that good of an article. I just would have wanted him to give it a shot. The fact that's not out there leans me a little bit towards the I don't want your life, Robin Leach. The I'd, I'd rather not take it, but I'm more open to it than I would have thought. Yeah, it's interesting. 
what you're saying is that if you could go in with the perspective that you think your soul carries, that seeing all of this at the extremes, you can't not take something away. You yeah. can't have a interesting, if not alterable angle of what the whole circus is for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I couldn't have put it any better. So is that, sorry, are you going with a yes or no? I got to answer? You got to answer. Just, Do I get to take that sensibility with me into this life? Yeah, you get to take the sense. I mean, you can't voice it, but it's inside of you. God, I feel so fucking shallow saying yes, but I think I want your life, Robin Leach. <laughs> Great. I, I may. I may after you've told me. I mean, what I said was, you know, you basically took the opposite angle. I said, I don't want to just be a full observer and commentator and presenter. Yeah. And you're like, I mean, imagine all the things that those eyes see and what you can do with that information in, yeah. internally. Yeah, but it does sort of require that you buy into the it's all a big fucking joke attitude of that does not sit well. Yeah, we also don't know. I mean, you said you don't like that there wasn't a think piece at the end, but who are we to say that there wasn't one inside of his private conversations with those closest to him? That's true. That's absolutely right. There's nothing that, that has been made public, but it could exist. It's possible. Yeah, and I don't, I, I also need to bring up this point. You contacted me a couple of months ago and said, Let's create a podcast about celebrities. <laughs> so it would be very hard for you to say, nah, that's vapid. Yeah, that's true. All right. You know what? I think we've arrived. We are at the final moment of our podcast, The Pearly Gates, where Amit, you are Robin Leach and you are going before St. Peter and you have an opportunity to make your pitch for why you should be let in. The floor is yours. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to attempt an impression. I'm addressing St. Peter. I was about to say God, but, <laughs> but I'm addressing St. Peter. I'm addressing his lieutenant. Whatever's most comfortable for you. Okay. <laughs> so here we are. You look back at what I created, which was this immense trend. Some might say exploitation. Some might say materialism, some might say spiritual absence. None of that is true. I am an entertainer. I entertained tens of millions of people by showing them a slice of, at the time, unambiguous happiness. There is nothing wrong with showing people things they can strive for. In fact, it's a good thing to celebrate it to always be on a party is forgetting about the other things. But knowing there is still a party to be had, there's a mansion to be lived in, there's a large pool to be swum in. Life does not always have to be that complicated, and it can be fun and fancy. Let me in. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. You can sign up for our mailing list at famousandgravy.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at Famous and Gravy. Our show was co-created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Morgan Honecker, graphic design by Brandon Burke, and original music by Kevin Strang. Thank you again for listening and hope to see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 